It's, it's like old white people music. Uh, this is episode 54 of The Carmudgeon Show, which is part of the Haggerty Broadcasting Podcast Network. <laughs> Haggerty Broadcasting Podcasting. Yeah. But it's basically, it's episode number 54 of The Carmudgeon Show, starring you, Derek Tam hyphen Scott, otherwise known as Yifon. Oh, that's how they say it in France. Yifon. But my most, most recent, and I guess we spent a bit of time in France. Sorry. Mm, we had very good lunch. Mm, that'd be fantastic. Love me some French lunch. Um, yes. So this is the disco episode, the Studio Fifty Four episode. Yeah, episode Fifty Four. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's a lot of time that we've spent. Where's the disco ball? It's in my warehouse. Oh you no! You started the with occasion? the inserts already. <laughs> Damn it. Fine, Paolo. The first insert is going to be you know a picture of the disco ball. I did buy a. 42 inch in diameter disco ball from a stripper in reno like all disco balls should have yeah. for provenance uh, yes where else would you get a used 42 inch disco ball to hang in your garage did you uh sanitize it should i i don't I know mean, it's a used disco ball what in what the circumstances would a used disco ball come with a clean bill of health <laughs> um yeah, I don't want to discuss this on camera. <laughs> okay. My mother was there when I bought it. How bad could it be? Uh, yeah. Hey, mom, you want to go to Reno and buy a disco ball from a stripper? A used sure. disco ball from a stripper. Mm -hmm. Can we get a clap, too? Oh, you got to clap again. You gotta clap. It's your turn. I've done the last two to three. If I start a clap, it's going to be like to Rose Royce's car wash. It's got to be to the mic. It's got to be like, you know. I'm sure that was. I don't know. Okay. Didn't now make we a have difference. They sounded identical, didn't they? Yeah. Clap. Okay. Uh, this episode is supposed to have a topic. I think we should just start this episode over. <laughs> Lest people know what idiots we really are. Uh, this episode does have a topic. Which is? You've gotten more stamps on your passport and probably more speeding tickets. Um, the tickets probably will come in the mail. So mm. I don't know about those, which is the nice thing about Europe. <gasps> You're revealing that you went to Europe. I did go to Europe. Surprise reveal. Um, Except for those people who follow him on Insta because he stories everything. Your Instagram um, is dtamscott? It is, yeah. I actually put a, I mean, I have a pretty high bar for what I'll put on Instagram. Do you though? Yes. Mm. I just saw a lot of cool shit. As a post or a story? Because As I feel like you'll story anything. Uh, that's not true. You don't follow people who post literally nothing on stories. If they post literally nothing, why would I follow them? <sighs> nothing of substance you mean yes like it's never going to be a picture of my feet or that's not on brand for dtam scott or can you like please just I'm change eating? your instagram to just the hyphen i wonder if that's available uh, it's not going to be right we're gonna you better do this right now before we stop oh, the show. Yes. speaking of do you have your phone because i have an update on a car before you go to europe okay i texted you I will see he's see how advanced he is. It's like check my, your grandmother my that you have to call and be messages. like, hey, I texted you and you call her on a landline to tell her this. So remember that I bought that beat. I, yes, and I remember do. that I said I, I I had a premonition that it used to look like a sunflower. Yeah, it's yep. got yellow accents on it from when these pictures were taken in Japan. Uh, there's a pictures. Yeah, they were. Well, I don't know if they were in Japan or in the US, but either way, there are pictures of it in Japan because thanks to the Carmugian show. Somebody found the old listing the, from when it was auctioned in Japan. Not only that, we know the importer. 
So not so only now you can go chase them down and no, oh uh, R, R, uh yeah condition R. What does that mean? Rebuilt. What does that mean? It means that something happened to the car in the past. That so it's a, a salvage title car. I think so. No shit. Because normally this area where the R is should be the condition which is graded one through five. Okay, so we're going to delete this part R. of the episode. <laughs> Well, you shouldn't have texted me without telling me what was in here so we could have... The the reason I texted you is because it's very bizarre. So I got a call from a friend randomly who's like, hey, you know anyone who's looking for a beat? And I said, yes, me. A rebuilt beat. Sorry. Beat or beat. And he then gives me the name of the guy who's selling it. Turns out I know him. And so I just texted him. I'm like, hey, you're selling a beat? Yes, I want to meeting up with him. I buy the car and whatever. We talk about it. We post the pictures. And a mutual friend of ours texts me, my VIN. That's creepy. Yeah. Do you want to guess who this person is? He's the importer of the car. Mm. Wow. The plot thickens. Yeah. The importer who presumably knew it was rebuilt. Mm-hmm. You would probably have a conversation Dave Skullman. Huh. Dave Skullman, who is a guy who does imports cars, he's the one that imported it. Huh. He's like, yeah, yeah no, I imported it for the import guys who then sold it to that guy and then sold it to you. So I'm like, well, what do you got on it? And he's like, here's everything I have, including the auction report, which now apparently says rebuilt, and I didn't know that. But how could the... I mean, it probably takes... A collision also, with a marshmallow. We've talked about this. Here's the After other thing. a very serious marshmallow collision, the car now has... I thought that I got a good deal on the car, and now I know what he paid for it at auction. And I don't know if I actually got a good deal on the car. But it doesn't matter because it's here, and it's mine, and it's cute, and it's white, and it's stupid. Shipping um, is costly. Oh, no, I know what he ha- has in it. Like, he gave me the full financials for it. Oh, oh why did um, he do that? Because he's a nice guy. Because if you want a car to import, you go to him. And so whatever, it's already done at this point. He was very nice to share all that information. Those cars are worthless in Japan. They're basically worthless here too, but they're totally worthless in Japan. Extra worthless. There was one, I know it's been hit in the hood because the hood is not, was used to be red. But you can see where the, there's no real bumper and where the hood mounts on, on front is the headlight bucket. And the headlight bucket, I'm not kidding, is not as strong as this bottle like i you can just push on it and it's basically like aluminum foil made out of steel um and it's ever so slightly kinked so i'm like oh okay it was hit in the left head right headlight driver's side headlight um and there it is so i got a new hood because there's no crumple zones there's no nothing on these cars so that's probably what totaled it because all the rest of the body panels are original Hmm. okay could be worse anyway so anyway i thought it was cool like what a small world like dave is listening to podcast and next thing i know he's like uh here's the vin here's your, your vin car. this is your vin right and he was like <laughs> of course what he says i wish i would have known you were looking at it found you a nicer one hmm. to which you know i thought i've been down this road i've been going down this road for eight years looking for one it's here it's done it's in my drive in fact it's 12 feet from us right now can't see it because it's too small but you know <laughs> anyway enough of that speaking of small things you went to uh europa what what does that have to do with small things? All the countries are small. The roads are small. The car, people are small. The cars are small. Little. I bought a not small car. Uh, by European s- standards. By current European standards, yeah. Yeah. But it would be, it is a four-door vehicle that is smaller than any four-door vehicle sold in America today. Is that true? Mm-hmm. What is the I mean, smallest, even smaller than a Mitsubishi Mirage? That's not a four-door. That's a hatchback. So they, they made sedan. a sedan version. They didn't of the mirage yeah i saw one the day before yesterday it was a mirage you're talking about Space the previous Star. generation no 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 mirage. no the little shit box i'm a fucking automotive cylinder. expert goddamn and i should know this shit yeah yeah i saw one the other day 
I noticed also specifically that the treatment of the reversing camera is much less offensive than on the hatchback version. Because I was like, hey, look at this thing. Look how bad the reversing camera integration is. And then I was like, actually, it's much better on the sedan than it is on the hatchback. Of all the things that you would notice about that wretched pile of shit. You have not seen the reversing camera integration on the hatchback. It's like on the middle of the left side. It's halfway between the center line of the car and the left side of the car. You could say the same thing about Cindy Crawford and that wart on her face. It's just misplaced by Jesus or something. Okay. It's not offensive. I mean, I think the Mitsubishi Mirage is offensive. That's what I meant. I would like to drive one nonetheless, though. I'm very interested. I've never driven one. Uh, they have the, the most interesting, it's been, I think I drove one when it first came out. And the most interesting thing to me is I didn't know modern cars could have NVH like that. It, I'm I mean, interested already. You should, I think you should buy one. No. They're like $99. No, I don't want that kind of ongoing you, interaction with it. You really don't. Um, not the three cylinder experience you were thinking of. Um, but uh, the when I did the research for this particular sedan that you bought the smallest sedan was i believe a fiesta and a yaris they were both tied sort of in length and this car that you purchased was shorter than both um like three or four inches lower than both and like two inches narrower than both with far less interior space interesting um and it is it is of course designed by bruno sacco so when i was in europe uh, the Isimi Italia team pointed out that every episode involves just talking about Bruno Sacco and old Mercedes. So I think we missed last episode. So we'll try and make up for that this time by talking about a Bruno Sacco designed Mercedes. I bought a 190E Cosworth, which incidentally, it's not the same as yours because it's a different color. <laughs> um, it has air conditioning. It has air conditioning. Um, it has a normal wiper, the wiper that does this instead of... Yeah, yeah. so the early 190Es don't have the articulating wiper. Anyway, I bought a 190E because I'm going to use the car to do some motoring over in Europe in Ho- September. Hopefully I will be with you. If we talk about You're it invited. on this, it's a tax break thing. We have just done that. It's entirely tax deductible. <laughs> yes. The whole car is tax deductible, I think. Probably. I, I hope. I Business purposes. So you're going to drive it over there and then ship it home? I think so. It depends on how hard it is to get registered in Italy. That's a whole undertaking that I'm learning about. You have to register it there just to drive it for a week? Yeah. There's no temp? No, not in Italy. This guy, it's Italy. There's going to be a guy. You pay the guy. Maybe. Yeah, there used to be like a thing that worked called uh, EE, uh, Escusionisti Esteri. But that has been. (laughs) Those are like foreign tourists. Basically, if you were a foreigner living in Italy, you could get a car with EE plates. Mm -hmm. Uh, That no longer exists. Anyway, we I learned a bunch of stuff. It's like not super easy to do. It's mm. as a as a person who's not an Italian resident, you it's very hard to register a car. There so. are people that we know who are Italian residents. Just pay them. Yes, yeah. I mean that's kind of ultimately the solution. You got to have a friend. Yeah, so you know a guy. That's yeah, it. Just you got to <laughs> know a guy. But like you're doing legal stuff. Other than that, the cars may be in their name instead of yours. Or whatever. It depends on how good of a guy he is. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so yeah, so, I bought okay. a one ninety Cosworth. Low mileage. Uh, One hundred thirty five thousand kilometers. One prior owner. Um, the, it was part of a his and her pair. I always love these stories. The guy had two of them, one for him and one for his wife. This was his wife's car. Wow. Uh, they bought it in Monaco because they couldn't find one early on, this very early car. Uh, they couldn't find one in Italy, so they bought one in Monaco and brought it into Italy when it was very nearly new. Uh, and this was her car. She died, and he kept it for 20 years after she died. So it's got oh, siditis. Wow. But it's been recommissioned, and I think it's pretty decent. I drove it. Seems fine. Looks I'm going to find out. Yeah. I'm going to find out by trying to use it. For 
5,000 kilometers to the Alps. Yes. How hard could it be? What could possibly go wrong? Remember that time. It'll mean, does, at least it'll make a great story. Does Haggerty Roadside work in uh, Italy? I somehow doubt it. It kind of doesn't work that well in the U.S. Oh, come on. I have roadside cars all the time. I do too, <laughs> I but it's always that. like kind of a disaster to try and like set it up. This is here's here's my primary complaint is that you end up sort of getting passed around. It's invariably like on a Sunday or something like that, and you talk to someone who like can't pull up your policy information because they're on a separate system. Like the, everything should be integrated. This is just me griping about God. This is pointless. Biting the hand that feeds them. <clears throat> I'm offering suggestions for improvement. As Dealing with tow trucks. A regular user. The fact that a to- I call a person, they're nice on the phone, and a tow truck sh- shows up that's a flatbed, I'm a happy guy. I mean, the alternative is, you know, what was that toothy character from Cars? Um, the pickup truck dude? Oh, Mater. Mater. Otherwise, Mater shows up. There's a wrecker, and he pulls your shit out. The, you know, yeah. Whatever. Anyway, um, you'll have to get a towing service. Yes, mm-hmm. because it's an old car. But you said it's Mercedes-Benz, that it's, nothing's going to go wrong. We'll Not see. Gonna break. I mean, it's old. Uh, it's so also yeah. been sitting for 20 years. The the whole theme of the trip, I would say, was homologation. So story on the 190E is that it's a homologation race car. Actually, we just talked about this recently. Probably don't need to rehash. Um, what other homologated cars did we experience? The Lancia Fulvia. So homologation, do we want to talk about this? Is this boring to listeners about homologation? It depends on what you're talking about. Here's the thing. The cars aren't boring. The concept of homologation, I think, confuses people to the point where they see a big word like that and like, what the fuck does that mean? To homologate something means to design something and get it through a process that proving that it conforms to the rules. So when we say homologation car, it's a little bit of a misnomer because every car sold is homologated to all safety and lighting and whatever else, DOT regulations in the US. Um, A homologation car is a term that we use for cars that, were built solely to comply with the rules so that the that car could be taken racing. And these are rules done by the FIA. Whatever governing body of the race series says, X amount of these cars need to be sold to the public. And so throughout the last 50 or 70 years, whatever, sanctioning bodies have, have encouraged car companies to build these for the road. Required, in fact. So that they, well, by, by, requ- by requiring that they, that they sell them to the public when they go racing. And yes. so... The Cosworth is one of those homologation cars that was built. There were 5,000 needed to be built to be uh, Is that eligible. a Group A car? A and N. Mm-hmm. Um, so the important thing to note about homologation cars used in this context is that there suddenly becomes a reason to sell something to the public that otherwise probably has no business case being sold to the public. Right. Uh, and so that's how you end up with a lot of really exciting, neat cars. And that's why homologation car as a term is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And so you can go back to like the Ferrari 250 GTO where the O stands for homologato. Uh, did, Mr. Roboto? Exactly. Um, interesting uh, thing that they did was the 250 LM, which was a 250 with the engine and mid-engine, which they had never done with a 250 before, was tried. They tried to race it basically under the same homologation certificate as the front engine cars, but like it's obviously a different car because the engine's in the back. And so that's Ferrari like being like, let's like, what what rules? Like none of this matters. So, you know who I am? I'm Enzo. Exactly. That was kind of what they tried to do. So the cars did race, but they were supposed to be homologated under the same sort of legal framework as the regular 250s, and which nowadays obviously wouldn't wouldn't fly. But it was the 60s, and it was Enzo Ferrari. There were so, so many people. Did you see the Grand Tour thing where Clarkson Clarkson did a documentary on Rally? And oh yes, yeah, so zero thirty seven and so, the production volumes. Yeah, so brilliantly done that segment that yes. Clarkson did. 
Um, but the idea being that they all sort of cheated on the homologate. They all lied. Certainly in that era, that was true. The Stratos, which is the predecessor of the 037, uh, is similar. That the number you were required to make, I think, was 400. And like, there's some doubt even today about whether 400 cars were actually ever constructed uh, to run in group to what you needed yeah. to do to run a group for things were much more casual. You also sort of just had to say like, here we here, let me show you that we are going to build 400 of them in order to get the homologation certificate. Well, that's in the, in the sanctioning the body's best interest, right? They want, yes, to make they sure. want the car right. to be competing. And so, and the O three seven, didn't they, didn't they park? They moved they, them. They moved yes. them. They took the they guys to lunch, right? During lunch, here's 200 supposedly. and they moved into a different parking lot. Here's the other 200. Oh, okay. And by the way, you're drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so, I think almost every car that I drove over there was in some sense a homologation car. So you went to Italy just to drive homologation cars? We're going to make videos about all these cars. But yeah, it turns out that most of what we ended up with were homologation cars, with the glaring exception of the Fiat Panda 4x4, which is very definitely not a homologation car. It was homologated to some crash regulations, like the regulation that requires that it burst into flames and kill you if you hit an int. I mean, it has lights, so there's that. (laughs) That's required for road use, I'm sure. Uh, so Stratos HF. So there was, was like actually a crash, crash course in Lancia rally history because Lancia, when they started rallying, I guess in maybe probably 65 with the Flavia, but their first real proper rally car was the Fulvia, which was a front wheel drive V4, narrow angle V4 car that was actually quite successful. And then that really lost some ground, I would say, to the Alpine A110, uh, which was mid-engine rear-wheel drive so again always you in those days when car when rally cars were two-wheel drive you wanted to make sure that the the engine was over the driving wheels so you had traction because rallying is a low traction uh situation so the a110 was beating the fulvia and they realized it was the end of its development so they came out with the stratos and so i drove a stratos it was the most insane automotive experience i have ever had bar none big words from from an old man like you who has had a lot of like mm-hmm. shitty cars well, but a, a lot, lot of, of amazing but a lot of amazing so when you say so this was good or bad because you say shitty now and that's a compliment for me but um yes it was good and it was bad okay i was fairly sure that i was going to die while i was driving it which Sounds is like a good time you know which yeah. is it's a good time but it's also a bad time um I, I found myself really wanting one, but also being very sure that if I owned one, I would die in it. And really, that's still sketchy. wanting it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about it was so sketchy? Um, so Sandro Munari, who was probably the most famous of the rally drivers who drove the Stratos, uh, did an interview in which he said that I could do a stage in two minutes and be sure that the car was capable of a minute 40, but that I wasn't talented enough to get that out of the car. And hmm. he's like world's foremost rally I mean, the, the Stratos won the World Rally Championship, I don't know what it was, four or five times. And uh, then he also said that you could drive the car around the same corner twice at the same speed and it would react differently each time you drove it. And that was kind of one of the, the feeling. The, the car feels like barely contained chaos. I mean, it's Italian. It, it, it is, I think it was when it came out, the first car ever to be designed first as a rally car and then converted to street use for homologation. Correct. It was the first time anyone had ever done a clean sheet design specifically to go rallying, which nowadays we think of as being sort of routine. Is it though? I mean, mean, there have been many examples of cars built since then that were developed specifically for rally. I don't know of any. 
I mean, if I if you think about the WRC, and I don't, I no longer follow WRC, but they were, you know, Peugeot two hundred five. No longer back exists. In, it doesn't. No. Living. I see that you don't ago. follow it. I don't. Yeah, I don't follow it. But the, um, you know, they were all street based cars that were heavily, heavily modified. I mean, they were, you know, often tube chassis basically by the time they put the cages in but they were still somewhat based on in silhouette form yeah they share very little i guess um actual dna with the cars that they're supposed to come from so like group b is all is all that well let's return to the stratus for a minute the stratus ran in group four it was designed specifically to be a rally car it is so insane that i don't really have the words to describe it other than that it's terrifying but somehow good at the same time I mean, you sent me one one clip, or, and I think you posted a bunch to Instagram, so you're going to have to put them here. It sounds unbelievable. Yes. So it, that, um, it's a Ferrari V6. It's a Dino V6. It is, yeah. And that was kind of the weird thing. So initially getting in it and starting, you're like, oh, it's just like a Dino, which I've driven many of in the past. And then as soon as you get underway, you're like, this is a completely different car. Mm. The urgency, which with, I mean, the, I would say that most of the car is reasonably normal feeling, uh, in terms of like gear change and motor and all of that stuff, the steering is the first thing you know. Super, super light steering, super um, precise and communicative, which is not what you expect from like an old hefty rally car. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really light steering, with, and the chassis is just like completely alive and sort of unwieldy, like in a unruly, actually, is the word I meant to say, not un- unwieldy, unruly. Huh. Uh, it's just absolutely terrifying. That's so strange because the 037 that we've both driven. Is not same light, unbelievably light steering. I get some somehow physics defyingly un- yes. light. Yes, but not unruly at all. It Civil might have light. to do with setup. Mm. I mean, that's the thing with rally cars. I mean, these cars you could run them in sort of long travel or short travel suspension. Long travel for like stuff in Africa, and then short travel for like tarmac or gravel mm. or you know something other than being in Africa. But those cars are immensely, immensely adjustable. And so I've driven only one, so I have no idea how it compares. Supposedly, this car, which had like a good setup, and that they're even less drivable with a less good setup, which is hilarious to me because that car was so like under braking. The car's just wandering all over the road, and you're just like, I mean, it it responds to inputs that you make to every control. You could like turn on the turn signal, and that's going to change the china- chassis dynamics. Like, I just like, what the fuck is this car doing? Is it just because it's unrigid and bending? I mean, is you know, is the chassis just? My overcooked pasta no i mean it's got a really substantial chassis and there's rally cars they have to be used off-road and like beaten the shit out of and survive and the cars are pretty durable structurally so i don't know what's going on but just an absolute handful i've never felt so thankful to be alive and not damaged a car after i got out of it it is wow. a rolling incarnation of the notion that you feel most alive right before you die okay so so i want to I would, drive one. yeah i think you should drive. i think you might hate it because it's so unpredictable but you know um, I love b- batshit berserk cars that are unsorted. And, okay, then you you might very much enjoy it. I'm also interested to drive other Stratoses to see where they're how this one compares. Stratai, Stratai, Strat, Strat A, uh, M, uh, yeah, ending AE. What is that thing called? Like in the word encyclopedia, where you run an A and an E together. That's I should know this. The bougie fancy version this is, of it. Yeah. This is right up my alley, but I'm afraid I can't deliver today. I'm so sorry. Uh, okay, drink so that, more of that tea. That was the Stratos. Okay. Um, I, I just... I mean, tell me... Hold on. That motor. So I've never driven a Dino. Uh-huh. And, it, and nothing with that V6 in it ever. None of the Fiat's not. It's like 8,000 RPM, isn't it? Yeah. it. You can rev the piss out of it. It's a motor that runs smoothly at high RPM also. It, but in the Dino, the Dino is like a very... The Dino will feel very familiar to you. It feels almost exactly like your 308, which is like a civilized, grand touring, like comfortable, long-distance car that 
you can take your hands off the steering wheel on at highway speeds and it tracks straight enough mm-hmm. comfortable ride and the the stratos is not like that obviously um but the motor is like a nice sweet revving it, the character is fairly similar to the eight cylinder in the 308 uh it's just for the record they're not related at all yes yeah, but in terms of like mm-hmm. the way the car's tuned and how it carburetes, it's mm-hmm. like an easy to use car that mm-hmm. for a modern person who doesn't have a lot of experience. So you drove cars. the MAT New Stratos also. Yes, you do were not in love with it. Um, no, I enjoyed it. It's a it's a proper. It's like an old car in a new car's body. That's my favorite Ferrari ever. Yeah, I mean that was driving that and so that was an F430 with eight inches chopped to the wheelbase with a Stratos looking body on it, done by a, a company in Milano. Milan MAT, um, you can say the word manufattura. I don't know what does it stand for. Automobili di Torino, probably. Yep. So it's probably not in Milano. MAT, which why? Because Torino doesn't mean Milano. <laughs> they not from this. Not from the. They're probably European in Turin. I, I don't know where you'd get this information, but they're probably in Turin. <laughs> it's MAT. Anyway, MAT Nustratos was. I, I did a video on it for for ACMA actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, spotlight video on it. I am still in love with that car it's one of like you know i, I think i said last week the v12 vantage is the, the, the one press car that i still dream about that new stratos i, I always think if i hit the, hit the lottery which w- would be a miracle because i don't never play the lottery it's hard but um that's kind of one of those cars an f430 is whatever however many dollars and a and a stratos is however many multiples of that totally worth it because that felt like a ferrari v8 powered lotus elise to me so is that the same sort of relationship between a 246 Dino and a Stratos as it as it is F430 to new Stratos? Like mm. bad shit off the fucking rails. You can't relax for a second. That thing yeah. wants you dead. Yeah. Experience, experience, experience. Yeah, but I would say that the gap is even larger. <laughs> like it's <laughs> really? just, yeah, it's so God, uncontrollable. Hey, Rich Grio, if you, so Grio's Garage is uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, company and i buy all my shit from them but i've met rich and he let me drive like any of the car, his cars that i wanted but the stratos was down for like a part or something rich or any of your people from Greer's garage if you're listening please send me the stratos i'll take good care of it yeah if it's you, you, i mean if it's that level of experience that will be my favorite car ever you you want to drive it the, i think the thing that it might be difficult about it is that it's so difficult to predict what the car is going to do perfect i perfect i'm shocked that i didn't crash it I'm shocked that the owner just gave me the keys and was like, have fun. But were you driving like a lunatic? Yes. Why the fuck did you drive that? <laughs> okay, don't, don't answer questions. This is a stupid what question. happens to you when the camera is rolling and you know that the car is being captured on film? Fair enough. That's what I thought. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that you start to say, like, if you were scared of wrecking the car, why did you drive it like an asshole? And then your brain goes, oh, because he's an asshole. Because you are an asshole. An oh, oh, of course. Um, okay. I, that I mean, I've always wanted to drive a Stratos. So had I, um, and it did not disappoint. Man. I mean, it scared the hell out of me. The other thing about that car that was very surprising is that its city speeds, it's super manageable. Other than that, you can't really see out of it behind you. But the steering is light. That you, the, the car's pretty easy to place on the road. Other than that, from the windshield, you can't see any of the car out of it because the nose drops so much. So you put up the headlights, and then you can tell where the end of the car is. <laughs> and um, do they act? Do they do the typical old Italian thing? <laughs> they're definitely yeah. doing the wave. <laughs> um... So, but like super light steering, the visibility is basically unimpeded by mm-hmm. anything. Um, super cool, like sight picture because the window yep. shaped like a helmet visor. Feels like you're sitting inside of a helmet. Um, 
and the motor's pretty tractable and torquey and shifter was okay like great. it worked yeah it's like a ferrari shifter. gated it's not gated but it's the same sh- gearbox and linkage effectively i gotta i gotta drive one yeah. i gotta find someone who's got a, a new stratus we need to get new and old together yeah that'd be cool i would 100 percent do that i'm very interested to drive other stratuses because i think there's so much variability car to car based on setup hey, this car had sort of kind of a group four-ish setup mm-hmm. but it was still streetable and mm-hmm. i think that maybe like a stock one would be quite different i'm sure it would be so i'm interested cool. in all that. this thing i think also had a bit of a spicy motor so uh, the noise that thing make yeah not Un- a fan of v6s unreal i i, I like that. i like them when they sound good which you know what are the good sounding v6s that one the uh so of course uh, i knew you were going right there what other v6s sound good i mean from the outside v nissan vqs but we're not going to talk about that uh toyota's v6s not bad especially in, yeah, the, lotus, in the lotus that that um, definitely sounds good um nsx yeah not yeah. Yeah. I mean, at full tilt, not really hanging out at 4,000 RPM. Yeah. There was something else I just drove recently that I'm like, damn, a V6, that sounds good. The other one I really want to try is Ferrari's 296, mm. which is a 120 degree V6. Has anyone ever done that before? I don't think for a production car. Uh, maybe, you know what? Maybe Lancia did. No? No. I don't think they ever V6. did more than 60 or 60. I mean, 120 degrees is this the is ideal a six, angle. 65 degree. What is, the, the, two, the, the Ferrari yeah. one is a, no. two, four, a 65. Typically, they're 60 or 90 or 15. 90, you know, good. 90 needs balance shafts. 60 needs counterweights. And they, the thing is, this, even the 60s, they're just not, they sound like shit. Mechanical noise, they sound like shit. Intake and exhaust, they sound great. They sound like VR6s. Mm-hmm. Which mechanical noise sound great. Anyway, okay. So, so you're going to get me a Stratos. Thank you. Thank you, Rich Grio, for bringing, bringing your stuff. I mean, anywhere you can get one. it's it's so surprising to me how difficult it was that for that her how i've never come across one of those cars before because the i've I've driven a dozen dinos and they built well here's the reason it's because they built 400 stratuses right which is actually which was actually like 16 right and they just moved them from parking lot yeah that's probably the reason uh okay so that was the so bucket list car definitely something you want to drive again yes okay i think i would like to own one but, you know, when I'm ready to die, I shouldn't buy one until I'm ready to die. You were in motorcycles. What's more dangerous, you think? Um, hmm. I mean, self-preservation instinct kicks in for me when the two wheels are involved. The, the motorcycle is like, depends on the motorcycle, but like if you ride in a, a super bike that's meant to go fast, those are very stable things at speed the reason why you're going to die is because somebody hits you not right. because you're going to lose control of it so you really think so so the thing is is there like a jekyll hyde thing with that stratos where it's like fine at normal speeds and then like at, at city speeds it's fine it's really a sweetheart in the city because it's got a tractable motor and a nice gear change and the visibility out the front's good and the steering is so light it's really easy to place the car and it's right. fairly compact also but is it a sudden change as soon as you're going around a corner all of a sudden it's just the back end wants to go wherever it wants to go and no you have to be doing more than you know it's probably fine up to about four tenths that's it holy shit maybe i don't know okay it was something uh so immense respect for people who continue to drive those cars fast or ever drove those cars fast to begin with i just don't understand how they did it but so you're still here you made it i know and you probably were doing more than four tenths it's possible i know you it's possible okay um so the car whose character i think you will most adore that really reminded me of the new stratos was the Chimera Automobili 037, Evo 37, they call it, which is basically like a singered, God, is that a disservice to call it a singered uh, 
Lancia 037, or it's really based on a Beta Monte Carlo, which was sold as a oh, Scorpion. Oh, that's here. right. That's right. They take that and put a real motor in it. And- yes. So there's almost nothing left of the original car, but it is on the basis of an old car. So it comes to the United States, for example, as a 1975 Lancia or whatever, which is great mm-hmm. for regulatory reasons. It's just similar to what you do with a Singer, which is a nominally a 1990 Porsche. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this thing was the most well-resolved. Really? Just, yeah. Driving experience. I mean, it, it should come as no surprise once you know the guy who's responsible for it. His name is Luca Betti. He is a former rally driver. Okay. Uh, and so the thing that he developed and devoted his life to, shockingly, when driven by someone in a hurry, is really fucking good. So, so what motor is in that thing? So nominally, it's the twin cam four cylinder that was used widely by the Fiat group in the, starting in the late 60s. This mm-hmm. would be the Fiat 124 engine, and they put it in anything that needed a 2 liter or 1600 to 2 liter. Lampredi? Lampredi, twin cam. Okay. And in the 037, so progression of launcher cars. Uh, first is the Fulvia, which is a V4 front-engine, front-wheel drive car. Then it's replaced by the Stratos, which is mid-engine V6 from the Ferrari. And then that's replaced by the... Well, in the Fiat group, that car was actually replaced by the 131, Fiat 131, which is a thing that looks like a box, mm-hmm. well, three boxes. Um, and they didn't want Lancia and Fiat stepping on each other's toes since they were both part of Fiat group. And so the Stratos's career was prematurely ended by the introduction of the 131. Uh, and then that gave way to the 037, which was a Group B car, the, an early Group B car before everyone decided to go four-wheel drive. And that's the thing, the Clarkson piece that we were all talking about. And in that car, it was powered by that same engine, the Twin Cam 4, uh, which came from the 124. And in that car, it was supercharged, mm-hmm. which is why the thing sounds like a two-stroke motorcycle. I don't, is that why? I don't know. I have yet to figure out why. It, it sounds like terrible, terrible noises. It's terrible. It's just weird. It's very it's halfway weird. between a two-stroke idling and a popcorn popper. Yes, and I'm that sure is we have one hundred percent accurate characterization it's of bizarre. the noise that the zero thirty-seven makes. And uh, then when you're on it, you, there are. I would if you put me if you blindfolded me, got me in the car, took the blindfold off, and told me to drive. I would tell you that has two four-cylinder engines in it. The only car that I've ever heard, and I think I've said this before on this podcast, that ever sounds anything like that is a friend of mine idiot back east built a twin engine Scirocco <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's kind of Anson High Anson um somebody will tag him in this he put two 16 valve engines in, in a Scirocco but basically just cut the subframe out of a Mark II Golf dumped it in, it in the back, back of the Scirocco and did it. there was no firewall the first time I drove it I mean it was in the car with you we got sprayed with coolant he almost I don't know how he didn't get burned to death but there the resonance between the two motors was kind of the coolest part of that a car you get this wah, 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 the Stratos, uh, the 037, sounds the same. There are two four-cylinders that are like one quarter of a revolution out of phase with each other, and I don't understand what I'm hearing or why, but it's amazing. It is very, very unusual, for sure. Uh, and so then Lancia realized that in order to be competitive in Group B, Group B is its own special thing. I mean, Group, Group B, B is World Rally Championship. Yes. Effectively, right? Well, they started doing that before that. But Group B was a new set of rules that came out for 1982 at the same time that Group C came out. So what they used to have was Group 4, 5, and 6. And Group 4 would be like a, let's do this in terms of Porsches, because I think that's relatable, maybe, like 911. Tough Porsche nerds. Well, everybody knows what the 911 is. Okay. 
So Group 4 would be the 911, which is like the closest to a streetcar, and that would be the Porsche 934. And then Group 5 ran the 935, and Group 6 ran the 936. Look at that. They're, everything the fuck madly. out. <laughs> All yeah. these years. So All that's, these years I the 934 know. ran Group 4, 935 ran Group 5, and 936, 936. ran Group 6. 935 was like a more intensely modified. So the, the Group 5 is a more intensely modified, but still production-based. Group 6 is like what you would call LMP now, mm-hmm. prototypes. Uh, and so Group 456 became, in 1982, ABC. Mm-hmm. So Group B is like nominally production-based, but like very, very loosely production-based. And then Group C is like a 962, which is like a complete prototype car. Mm-hmm. So Group B, those cars like sort of resemble some kind of production car, but like almost always the engine is moved, and ideally you change the orientation of the engine too. So like, So it's not. So yeah, it's like not really the same car. But if the 037, you know, the engine is longitudinal, whereas the car that it's nominally based on, the engine is transverse. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the Peugeot 205, which also ran Group 5, uh, Group B, excuse me, uh, used to be front wheel, wheel drive, transverse, front engine, and then they moved the engine to the back, still transverse, and it's four-wheel drive. So they really just, like, there's nothing really left of the original car, but it, like, is shaped similarly right. to the original car in Group B. Uh, and those cars, they thought, were like, oh, it's going to be fine. Like, it's they're not going to be that fast. And they put a displacement limit on them with based on turbocharging and all that and said, if it weighs this much, it can have this much power blah, blah, or this much displacement. Uh, and then the engineers were like, great. You didn't tell us that it could have a maximum amount of, por- of horsepower. And so they ended up just stupidly fast and everybody died in them. And then they outlawed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Group B version that replaced the 037 was the Lancia Delta S4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that car had the same powertrain, which is that weird-sounding supercharged engine. And then they added... A turbo. A turbo also. So it's twin-charged, which I guess Volvo still does. Volkswagen probably too, but yeah. Volvo, oh, yes, Volvo not for the US, but mm-hmm. I think Volkswagen did twin-charge yep. some cars. Uh, and so this this Chimera thing that I drove basically had that powertrain. It was twin-charged. It was With both drive. supercharged and turbocharged. I assume so. You drove it and didn't... You didn't do donuts? No. That's the easiest way to tell. I barely drove it. Okay. Um, but it is crazy sounding. The supercharger... Make, they, they've added a clutch to disengage the supercharger when it's not in use. And it makes this kind of crazy mooing noise when it's not supercharging on trailing throttle. Oh, wow. Which is pretty cool. The experience was very uh, F40. Like very like uh, un just an, a wildly outrageous competent car that you could drive like a modern car flat out but isn't boring the way that a modern car is to drive flat out but just out, outrageously fast hmm, cool at 1050 kilograms with 500 horsepower that's 2300 pounds <clears throat> yeah it has a much better i mean it weighs like 200 kilos less maybe or more than uh maybe 300 kilos less than an f40 and it has more power jesus and not the that, turbo lag because not it's that I think everyone here has driven an F40 because you know I haven't, so that means it's. But Paolo it, has. You have a knife to throw at him. Here, you can break this <laughs> and have some broken glass shards. I'm sure you can find a way. Um, <laughs> that is that car. I think of all of the cars that I experienced, is probably the car that you would most enjoy because it has all of the things that a modern car does in terms of capability and like functioning, except for the part where it didn't function. That aside, it's Italian. <laughs> That's why you barely drove it. Yes. it? <laughs> um, um, Good to know. But 
the, the, like modern tires, modern mm. suspension, modern brakes, Olin's, you know, like really thoughtfully developed mechanically, but with all of the texture of an old car and the soul of an old I'm car. I'm still, you have yet to convince me away from the Stratos, for the record. Um, You're like Olin's and all that, and that's wonderful. It's like, two buttoned down, you think? When you say it's two buttoned down, that makes me... No, think- I mean, I don't, I didn't think it was buttoned down. Like, I never felt like the car was lacking for excitement. Okay. But, you know... That was from the passenger seat. I need okay. more time in the driver's seat to assess. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I experienced almost the entire Lancia, the entire Lancia rally car thing, except for the Delta S4. Did you did you also drive something with a V4 recently? Just the, just the, um, just the Fulvia. Did that on the same trip? Because I, yes. I, right, that yes. sounded good. Yeah, sounds good. It really reminded me of your Volkswagens. And I assume... Interesting. Very interesting. Just, because you sent me the video and it really reminded me of a VR6 with two cylinders lopped off of it, which is technically also a Volkswagen. Um, but yeah, it has very much has the Wookiee at low yes. revs that the yes. VR does, yes. but then smooths out at, at high revs as, you know. But the sort of like progression, the journey that you go on as an occupant of that car when you're going from idle to redline mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of your Volkswagens. Interesting. Those cool. cars are really freaking cool. I don't know why the 1.3 liter cars are still twenty five or thirty thousand dollars. Don't say that now; they'll be fifty. I know. No, no one on the I show know. wants wants that shit. I, You're the I only do. only yeah. old person in the room, and I that's will. a VR for it, right? So that's one cylinder yes. head. So that car, when they went through the different series of Fulvias, there were really basically three Fulvia series. When they changed the displacement, they changed the included angle in the V, mm-hmm. which. To me, seems so does VW. Very, the VR6 started at 15 and then went to 10.2. Hmm. So. Interesting. I don't know the specific numbers on these cars, but I remember seeing them measured in minutes in addition to degrees. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. So okay. not exactly some number of degrees, but included angle included some minutes also. I've heard of times. Like five minutes, five minutes. Mm. I need five minutes means three hours. Yes, so. 100% true. <laughs> or I, uh, yeah, or it's already done. Uh, so yes, drove that. Okay. And I didn't do the Delta S4. That's the only one I didn't experience on the trip. I didn't really experience the 037 because there's so little of the 037 left in the Camaro. But, yeah, but you've driven a regular 037. Yes. And yes. you've also, I've heard a, I've heard an S4 idle at Amelia years ago and it's popcorn popper with an overlay of, I don't even know what the, like Ducati on top of it. This sounded much better. Did it really? Like listening to this compared to a 037, all of mm-hmm. the sort of like puzzling, like, is this broken characteristics of it were, were basically gone. Hmm. And just all that was left was like the good stuff. Okay. So really, really epic. Oh, the, so we were talking about the Lampretti motor and then mm-hmm. we got sidetracked. The thing that they did with this car is they basically were like, we're going to use the design of the engine, but we're not going to use any of the actual original parts. And so we recast everything and it's much stronger. Oh, so shit. all new castings. Like there are the, the shared parts are like windshield wiper arms. I don't know if any of the structure is left. Maybe, maybe not. Wow. Um, like they basically made a new car using the original. You'd look. You'd have to. I lo- those betas are so cool looking. They look like miniature Delorean. I don't even. I don't even know how to describe them. But the little flying They're adorable. But the first time I drove one, I'm like, if this had a real motor. And real steering, and a real suspension, and a real brakes that function. And a oh, and yeah, a structure. Then it might be a real car. Yeah. So I just I love to look at it. The beautiful headlight. I mean, the whole thing is gorgeous. But no. Yeah. Great. So nothing left okay. 
of the original car, basically. But to the point, and I love the sympathy of which it is built, because oftentimes they would just be like, we'll just swap in a modern Ford Duratec or whatever equivalent to that is. Mm -mm. And here in this situation, they're like, we're going to use the original engine, but we're going to recast every part using modern metallurgy to make it like function, but still have the character. character of the so is, it, is it injected? Yes, mm-hmm. with coil packs and wow. like modern engine management on the turbo so that the turbo actually can sort of do the things that it's supposed to instead of just being like, here's some fuel, go figure mm-hmm. it out, which is right. what mechanically injected cars do when they're turbocharged. Cool. Uh, so really, really thoughtfully designed. The whole car was beautifully turned out and they're only making 37 and... Yeah, you and cast a whole new engine just for thirty-seven cars. I think they'll probably use it in something else. Maybe they're going to do a Delta S four next. I don't know. He wouldn't say what he was doing next. He just said that when we asked, he was just like, yeah. but it was clear that there's something in the in the pipeline. Cool. So I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I think it's going to be very cool. Um, so so that thing was incredibly cool. And then I the last thing was the no not the last thing group group uh, group B the Peugeot. 205. Pugiat. And it was a T16. In in Spain, they say Peugeot, apparently. Okay. In in England, they say Peugeot. Yes. There's an R in And what do we say? We say Peugeot. Peugeot. They say, yeah, they put, England puts the emphasis on the first syllable, Peugeot, and we call it Peugeot. Um, So you drove a Peugeot 205 GTI T16. Yeah, 205 T16 or Turbo depending on the market. The Renault R5 the R5 eyesed version of the 205 so sure yes where they move the engine to the back uh so that car you know was saying like what they did with group b where they didn't wasn't much of the original car left and so they moved the engine to the back and gave it four-wheel drive and cut the whole back of the car off and they were hold on they were four yeah that's right r5 was only rear drive yes because it wasn't was that a group b car what did they do the turbo the r5 turbo four i mean was it earlier than group b no that would have to be about group b because but did they rally that car yeah Oh, okay, yeah. so then yeah, it would run Group B. Hmm. The ter- so the two hundred five Turbo sixteen is the car that unseated Audi Quattro. Hmm. Audi Quattro sort of like completely turned rally on its head because they were like, here, let's do four wheel drive, uh, and then that was wildly successful. And then Peugeot's like, hold on a second, we're going to do this better. And basically, every year that the tu- the two hundred five raced, it won the world championship, hmm. which was only two years. The last two years of Group B. Um, every time it raced, and it was only once. Yes, one hundred percent of the time, sixty percent of the time it works. What is it? What is the quote? One hundred percent of the time it works every time. Sixty percent of the time it works every time. Every time. Sixty percent of the time works every time. Yeah. So, um, so that car is kind of the ultimate Group B car because it is the car that won the last two years and unseated the Audi Quattro. And that is turbocharged, sixteen valve, four cylinder longitudinal transverse. transverse in the back yes in the back and uh has a transmission from a citroen sm sm was longitudinal i'm so confused by this with the fucking french they probably put one output shaft to the front and one to the rear and like we'll figure it out when we're done with the cigarette and they didn't amazing but it did win a lot it did win a lot. It was it won because it was compact. The problem with the Audi was that it was too physically large and too heavy, and the Peugeot. And the other uh, problem was the engine dangling out. Yes, the, the engine was in the wrong place. I mean, you listen to Michelle Mouton back in the day, and she was like, "The thing will not turn. Yeah. You have to kill it to throw it into a corner." Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But they sounded so good that no one cared, and yes. also they were fast. But yeah, you put the, the engine in the right spot. Genuinely agile by comparison, because yeah. the engine is in the right place, which is behind the occupants mm. instead of in front of the. How was that? How was that to drive? 
Um, the first thing I noticed about it instantly is that it felt so different from the Stratos because the Stratos has very light control forces and it's very easy to maneuver and the 205 was like very, very heavy. Mm. Everything felt very heavy and mechanical. Gear change is heavy, steering is heavy, brakes required a lot of force. It just felt like a real serious car, which is really interesting because it's so at odds with the aesthetic of the car, which is kind of hot hatchy. Mm-hmm. And the thing about hot hatches is that whenever you get a hot hatch, it's like uh, very light control forces, very sort of fingertips. And this car is like a very meaty experience mm. to drive. Uh, it Underway, it lightens up very nicely. The 205 Turbo 16 has a reputation for being scary. This car had ancient tires on it. Uh, and they're TRXs, metric Eesh. TRXs com- with sidewall cracks. Mm. So I didn't drive it hard enough to really tell what its limit behavior was like. But up to the, I mean, as, as fast as I dare to go when I was, you know, the thing that always plays in my head when I'm driving a car with tires like that is all I'm seeing is the cracks in the sidewalls. Mm-hmm. And that's all that I can see. Like I'm looking out the windshield, but what I actually see are cracks in the sidewalls. Yeah. Um, so I drove it as fast as I dared, and uh, it was actually fine. It mm-hmm. lightens up underway, uh, full throttle, upshifts at red line. You get fireballs out of the exhaust <laughs> and the noise that comes with that, which is pretty cool. That's cool. Uh, it's very like dramatic. Feels very special. Feels very extraordinary. Like the control forces are probably on par with like a Countach. Really, that, really heavy. How do you make controls that heavy in a car that weighs half as much as a Countach? I don't know. Wow. Just shocking. Maybe it's like ninety percent of a Countach, yeah, but it's much more than like a three hundred eight mm-hmm. or a nine eleven from that era. Or you know, choose performance car of the seventies or eighties that you can think of that has like sort of heavy mechanical feel i mean if you think uh, this if, is more for people who have not driven countaches and whatnot that you could break your wrist on a countach shifter yeah i mean it's genuinely you're like first gear can be a this. two a two-handed two-hand thing operation and uh, dog leg oh that's right they're dog legs <laughs> to select reverse i'm thinking of mira yeah mira no, is lighter than a countach your mira is lighter than yeah my mira has a really nice light i've driven other change. mirrors that i mean where i had the owner like all right ready just grab it and fling it as hard as you can yeah and no mine is very yours light is yours but your clutch will break your leg no clutch is progressive it's pretty light and progressive compared to what like compared to like legless gym maybe compared to a cinder block <laughs> um yeah no i your mirror always strikes me as heavy every time i've driven that car i've gotten out of anything else and i'm like am i in a civic because the clutch yeah. just goes to the floor yeah. and then yeah. yeah um yeah countaches are genuine i hurt myself i actually hurt myself the two cars in my life that are maneuvering for a photographer who's like right i need you to take a whole car and move it one red-headed cunt hair to the right and you're like are you kidding me i have to start this carbureted fucking thing that's going to catch fire and then i'm gonna have to move it back and forward and back and forward and 60 times without moving fast enough to lighten the steering up and m1 I pulled my shoulder and was really? out of commission for weeks. That really hurt. And Kuntash. I don't have a recollection of the M1 controls being heavy. Only, as soon as you're moving, they're fine. But to move, you know, the, the photographers will literally say, turn the wheel full right hand down to all the way one and move one inch forward. Well, you can't move because they're looking at what they're looking at. You know, being mean to photographers. Cars are mirrors. They're painted mirrors. So that you're looking at reflections of stuff and you have to get it just right. And so it's one of these situations where you're, what you cannot move an inch and the wheel will be full effort but i really after a day of shooting an m1 i really hurt myself hmm. um, Interesting. and kuntash i got i pulled something that was i remember thinking of the m1 as being i thought it was a little underwhelming love the motor it yeah was slow we raced it against my wagon my e30 wagon <laughs> yeah it's kind of slow and like it's 
it's kind of to me it's like the nsx of the 70s in the sense that it's not that um, exciting ex- well it's not that demanding to drive like there's mm-hmm. nothing about it that like you feel like you could i could drive this every day there's nothing about it where you're like oh my god get me out of this thing and i'm gonna die i need to spend more time in them because i, I drove the one that i drove had like hundreds of miles on it or i mean it was like six thousand kilometers or something and uh this is years ago and i barely drove it i mean maybe put 10 miles on it and uh, i remember the driving position being awkward i remember that heavy steering but i remember the the engine being lovely sounded great way better than it sounds in a m5 yeah um but yeah i'll have to spend more time i thought of it as being like pretty usable i guess it depends on reference points too if you're you're coming from a countach coming from a countach then it's downright (laughs) civic-y um we went down a rabbit hole we oh did. heavy control forces on the 205 which is but under the regular way, 205 is very light yes like you would expect from a hot hatch just this drive with Peugeot, especially a french yes. car i mean french cars yeah. ride well they're smooth they love to move pillowy, around yeah pillowy seats just like a really low effort car anyway this didn't feel like that at all felt yeah <laughs> felt kind of race car but not in kind a, of race car when it is very much race car-y. yes yeah. it but le- i mean it it, f- it felt purposeful like mm. a race car but not unmanageable like there's nothing about mm. it that was difficult to do have you driven an r5 turbo no mm. haven't. <laughs> haven't that was the first revelations we shot in the studio oh yes i the red loved one. that car i would love to drive one yeah. of those stupid noises very laggy laggy and very laggy but in all of the right ways that you know you you heard the turbo clear as day and so it made it fun to work around mm. um yeah it was just very <laughs> And then when it hit, it was qu- genuinely quick. This, I would say, built boost pretty linearly. Like, it wasn't a light switch. Like, it wasn't mm. like the Audi RS2 or That's a 930. Nuts, yeah. Both of those cars have very sudden onset of boost. This car would build boost fairly progressively, so there was never, like, a punch in the mm-hmm. back. But you would realize that by the time that you reached the upper rev range, that you were accelerating with a lot of force, but it right. built in a progressive enough way that it wasn't really that alarming. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was that it pulls hard into the limiter. Like, it doesn't run out of breath at the top end like some turbocharged cars right. do. Like, it, the power, the turbocharger size is probably optimized for the top end of the rev range. And it goes to seven. Wow. Yeah, so it's that was pretty, turbo. pretty fun to, to rev out, actually. Cool. So I'll add that to my list of things to drive. I'd yes. love to drive one of those. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. I'm a fan of, I'm not a fan of turbos overall, but I'm a fan of very vocal, very 80s turbos because... You know, we talk now about you know all of this, all of the things that manufacturers have done to eliminate lag. Yeah, but and where you get a torque peak that starts at seventeen hundred RPM, but it doesn't in the real world, and that's the problem. You know, it does on a dyno when you can hold the engine at seventeen hundred RPM for thirty seconds to build boost. Yeah, of case, it's capable of making full boost at seventeen hundred. But on the street, if you floor it at seventeen hundred in fifth gear, you'll be doing well over two thousand by the time you get you know. Yes, because of the boost. lag. And so I actually like the old school, like give me, not a 930, that, that's too much. But even that RS2, it's got right, the right amount of lag that you work around it, you can hear it, you can interact with it, you can feel it, you know it's coming. That's more fun than these, the engines that are today that are just trying to emulate naturally, naturally aspirated. Yeah. yeah, they're just not the same. The RS2 experience I think is helped by closer gear range ratios, probably a higher compression ratio mm-hmm. and more intelligent fuel injection. And yeah. so the difference between an RS2 and a 930 is appreciable well, it was a 6.8 to one i mean that was six five six two six five and then seven in the 930 yeah, in the, the later cars no that's that car is dead off the, the audi was not dead off the boost i mean comparatively yes but it could actually still move up a hill yes before boost where a 930 
Can't move downhill. Yeah. Terrible. And, oh, CSL. You've driven a CSL, right? I have. I put a lot of miles on a CSL. In? A hundred years ago. In Deutschland? No. uh, BMW of North America moved a bunch of cars from the museum for Monterey a couple years ago, and they realized they they had to get the cars up from LA to Monterey uh, and figured they could either pay a transport company or have journalists beat the shit out of the car. I mean, drive the cars gingerly along Pacific Coast Highway the whole way. So I beat that thing mercilessly, and it was very unexpectedly civilized. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of time in regular E46 M3s before? Oh, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Stupid. Oh, you're talking about E9 CSL. I'm talking about E9 3.0 CSL. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. I agree with that. The E9 CSL is quite civilized. I was underwhelmed, honestly. Yeah. Because I wanted something like a Carrera RS, which is a really like knife edge, very light feeling car, and the, it feels like a 6 Series. It feels just like a three. I've heard people say oh, the body flexes so much because you know that car is made out of thinner steel. Mm-mm. I I don't know. I mean, you'd have to drive them back to back or know them better. I didn't think it was bad. I just remember thinking it was a nice GT. Yeah, it feels very GT, like a six series. So you're talking about E46 M3 CSL. Yes, that is a spicy box of bolts. Yeah, what is the German equivalent? Kaiserschmarm is the dessert that we had in the German part of Italy. That uh, it's like a crepe or pancake anyway just spicy to call it crepe uh that csl sounds yeah so <laughs> I, I will be the first person to talk about how awful e46 m3s sound s54 sounds like a chainsaw in a drain disposal yeah not that. Of, yeah just terrible and evidently the euro cars sound better apparently the header design is appreciably different because of the location of the cats hmm. i'm told uh so maybe the euro cars sound less terrible but the u.s cars and what will happen is people will just be like i'm going to put a louder muffler on this no. and then you're just like now i no. have more volume of a terrible noise no the trick is to put six mufflers on it and then put a carbon intake from the csl on it so you get all the intake noise and none of the exhaust exactly i think if you change to the euro headers and it sounds reasonable it sounds like an inline six should i yeah, believe probably equal length because the u.s i don't know what it is on the u.s cars but they're not crazy but csl jesus that intake noise yeah and did you see the size of the air yes. opening yeah it's like there's uh, a flap it's like this yeah. yeah there's a there's a duct that goes in the front uh, bumper on the left side and then it goes to this weird flap thing but the surface area you know normally the surface area of an intake is what the size of a coaster basically yeah maybe a little bit smaller even this uh is... and this thing is like yeah the size of uh i don't know choose your object I'm looking around to try to find something. I mean, it's massive. Yeah. It's huge. And the noise. that I mean, what you're hearing is probably the carbon airbox itself yes. resonating. <laughs> Holy shit. It is sensational. It goes from being the thing about the E46 that I like the most, least, which is the noise, to being the thing that makes the experience of the E46 CSL is the noise. I agree. But then it introduces another thing that makes the, the worst part of the car. Which the is the fucking transmission. SMG. Yeah. If I could have, I mean, a CSL with, with a manual... Mm, I mean, you can swap those cars just like you can yeah. any other SMG car. And I think there's people who are doing it. I yeah. think. Um, so that would be of interest. You know, the CSL gearbox didn't bother me as much as I thought I would. it would. I didn't really drive it around in town. That's, that's why probably then. why. Yeah. Good Did luck. Mostly like um, sort of B-roads, fast-flowing roads. It works. Automated manuals always work on a racetrack or when you're moving. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's in this sort of maneuvering... Yeah. And slow motion shit that they're just awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in that context, it was okay. It reminded me a lot of the LFA gearbox. When you put it in full fast in sport mode with all the shit off, the way that it um, shifts is very brutal like the LFA yeah. gearbox. 
but yeah, the noise is different. I mean, the thing weighs like 150 or 200 kilograms less than the standard car. They took a lot of stuff out of it. I just remember the doors rattling from the sound of the engine, the outer door huh. skins being excited. I didn't by get the, that. Yeah. In this I mean, car. this is a museum car. Who knows what you know condition any of these things are in at this point? But I just the door panels are the door skins are so thin that there's kind of nothing. The doors are light, and everything yeah. just was excited by the engine. Yeah, yeah. including what myself. I, <laughs> um, steering was magnificent in that car too. Yeah, I mean that car to me is everything that the E46 M3 should be, but isn't. But I get why they did that. They had to sell cars to people who like my wife has to drive it or, you know, I'm old and I have to, whatever. Right. So I get why they did that with the E46 M3, but this car introduces a level of excitement to that car that I think should have been present in from the, from the beginning in all of them. I love the E46 M3, but it's not, it needs to go on a diet. It needs to go on a diet. And there the were 30, 300 pounds, 3,400 pounds back in the day. Were they that heavy? Yeah, they were. Yeah. Cause this thing yeah. was probably a shade over 3000 mm -hmm. in this configuration. Right. So that's a 10% weight reduction. Really, really uh, exciting car. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of the changes that they did are, are worthwhile. And the car felt special. I mean, carbon fiber roof and door panels and the seats are, you know, it just didn't really... I see why those cars are getting expensive. It's a shame they only put the shit gearbox in it, but at least it's easy to fix if you own one. Right, that's cool. And they're not old enough yet to import. Not yet. US. No, we got another five years. Mm -hmm. What year? Those cars are two... Three, 2003, 2004. Right. So we got another five, five yeah. plus. But the, um, I remember I had every generation of M3 together when E92 GTS came out. That's the and orange one? That was the orange one. Um, do they only come in orange? Funny. I, don't I mean, know. in I my mind, it it's orange, orange too, yeah. Um, so the car that I drove in Germany was orange, and then I did uh, E30 Sport Evo, E36 Evo. That's the first Evo or the second Evo? Second. That's the second Sport Evo. Sport Evo is technically Evo 3. Right. Sport Evo. So Evo 1, Evo 2, and then Sport Evo. So it's Evo 2 is the final one. Um, then E36 3.2 Evo, which, you know, which is 3.2 liter. Uh, and then M uh, E46 CSL and E92 GTS. And of them, my favorite overall was E36. Uh, but I think that would have been a different situation had the E46 been a manual. Hmm. I struggle with that also. But that, those to me are the ultimate M3s. I'm not an E30 guy. For M3s. And E90 is... I love the E90. That's an but, it's yeah, just a better it's a M5 bit, than it is it's an a, M3. Yeah, it's a bigger, more... Different kind of car. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, E30 is in its class of one. That it was, you know, the one-off homologation actual race car. And E30, 60, 46 were a very different type of car. And they were, I think, I also agree the best. And then E90, it's a, it's a mislabeled M5. Um, it's a nice car. Nice cruiser. You know, with, with a great motor great motor just great, good chassis especially yeah. the the comp cars at the end they were really really wonderful um it know. is with good reason that they're becoming so expensive i saw one sold for seventy one thousand dollars wow seventeen thousand mile manual nice. comp pack yeah compact cars changed uh i've a couple friends that i know at that to collect BMWs and one guy that I know that works for BMW he was wouldn't even consider a non-comp I mean the difference between the comp and non-comp in those cars was huge not um, unlike the car that came after right the F80 the comp was better I still I'm not a fan of that car yeah. um the F80 but the comp was definitely better and the current one also the comp is uh, significantly better than the non-comp but then it's automatic only so. right yeah. mm -hmm. okay I refuse to allow us to talk about BMW anymore what Shocking. I, mean, I know. We always do this. 
Yeah. Usually but, we're shitting but, on them. But, but we, we also we, don't talk about cars that are less than 10 years old when it comes awesome. to BMW. Oh, last week we talked about Z. I mean, okay. No, I meant when right, we, we talk about BMW. BMWs, we always talk I mentioned about Supra. That is a BMW and it's less than 10 years old. Okay. Uh, what I'm really excited about is that you bought a Kazi too. Yeah. I, uh, I hope it's good. We'll see. I mean, I, mean, I looked at it and I drove it, but you never know. It's going to get a service and then I'm going to be the show. Learned very quickly mm-hmm. whether it's any good by trying to apply a lot of kilometers. Can we like go junkyard picking while we're over there and go get a bunch of shit, throw in the trunk when you ship it home? Yeah, absolutely. Anything that'll fit in the car, especially if it's car parts, because they'll be like, oh, it's part of the car. Yeah, exactly. It's literally a car part of the car. Yeah. In parts. Okay. Cool. Well, um, I'm jealous of your European adventure. Well, you can join for the next one. Well, yeah. In September. I, I, that I hope to do, because as we discussed, it's a tax write-off. Yes. And we will go and create content from there. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can record a European carmudgeon. We have to do the episode entirely in not English. Kein Problem. You can speak German, I'll speak Italian. I mean, enough. You can also understand me when I'm speaking German that way? Or it's just the look on my face. I was like, really? Really? Uh, No, I mean, that I understood. But uh, yeah, it might be difficult for us to have a conversation if you're speaking German. We can try it. Anyway, uh, European carmudgeon. And uh, we have not made any commitments for what we're going to talk about in the next episode of Carmudgeon. So let's please not. Yeah, I have no great. control over my mouth to begin with, and then I have to sort of rein it back in. Okay, um, great. So, but there will be another episode next week. Yes, Lord I'm willing. Just checking. So, a couple of weeks ago, somebody's like, "The way you guys ended that episode, I didn't know if there was going to be another one next next week." Uh, I'm like, we never know either. Yeah. I mean, you were going to Europe. You could have caught the Rona. Yeah. Or the plague. I might have. I might be giving it to you right now. Don't. That, I gave it to you two weeks ago. Oh, so and you're. Turned you're, out not No, to. no backseat. Still coughing. Yes. Great. Perfect. Yep. Splendid. Okay. Next time. Until next time.